James chapter 5, get your Bible with you, go there. I've done this a lot recently. I don't know what is going on, but we're going to do a little bit of flipping. Not everything's going to be on the screen. I think I'm enjoying that habit, so we're going to keep it rolling. So if you got your Bible or a device or something that has the, the Bible on it, that would be a blessing for you tonight. So James chapter 5, most of everything else will be on the screen, um, so you won't miss much, but we will do a little bit of flipping. James chapter 5. So, tonight we're looking at this subject, uh, pray like it works. Now, those of you that have been in here when, when, I, when we have brought the youth service over here, which is what we're doing tonight, uh, then you know that we just carry on with the normal series that we're doing, so teens... You know where we're at. Um, we're just going to keep flowing from last week. And so last week we did start this new series on Pray Like It Works. And the title is meant to, to mean exactly the way it sounds. Because uh, I think it's very easy to, at least for me, to get into the, the rut in, in my prayer life. And to think that, you know, God's just going to do what he's going to do regardless of if I take things to him in, in prayer or not. And that's just not true. Um, prayer actually moves God's hand. Prayer actually changes God's, God's mind. Now that makes people get real weird, uh, but he, it doesn't change his mind off of the Word of God. Some things are absolute, but it does, it does change his mind about some things. That's why prayer avails. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this tonight. We are, some of it will be review for the teens, and then some of it will be new, and then for the adults it'll all be new. So let's roll into it. Let's read the text, and then we'll pray and, and dive into it. Very popular section here, we're talking about prayer, but James 5, 16 through 18 is going to be our text tonight. It says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, which was Elijah, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brother Charlie, you want to pray for us tonight? Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, so praying like it works. So the reason that we've moved into this series, and the youth have heard this, but I'll kind of let you know where we're at for the adults. But the reason that we've moved into this series is because recently we just came through a series specifically talking about intimacy. And you could probably sense that because in the Sunday mornings that I've been over here with everybody, or that I've been preaching, uh, we've also looked at intimacy in the context of John 15 with the branch and the vine and, and all of that good stuff. Um, so, so coming off the heels of, of our intimacy with Christ, okay, th it, it, it leads us straight to this subject of prayer because for me, and I'm very, very open about this with the teens, and I've said many things like this up here, but 
for me, I am geared, at least me, when I think about my intimacy with the Lord, I think about my, my relationship with Jesus. Because a call to intimacy is just a reminder that we are, that we are saved to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in that, I am geared to lean towards getting in, in the Word of God. Now, that's obviously part of it. Like when we, John 15, 7, he says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, then ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So the Word of God affects our prayer life. But, but nonetheless, it, for me, I sort of get into this thing where I can, it's easy for me to spend an hour in this. I mean, I'm just honest with you, this is, this is what I enjoy. But if you ask me to spend an hour in prayer sometimes, some, like, what are, what are we going to pray about? What are we doing here? And so, for me, it's always something that I have to constantly, uh, you know, constantly be checking myself on. I mean, Dylan, how, how was my prayer life? Because about, about 18 months ago, uh, my prayer, God really started working with me in my prayer life through some certain circumstances in my life and those kind of things. And my prayer life deepened. But it's funny how when things when, the, when, when the, the waters start to get a little smoother or things are going a little better, my Bible reading, it, it stayed pretty much the course, but my, I noticed just over time, my desperation for the Lord in prayer began to wean a little bit. And so it's something that I've always got to be checking myself on. And so it, it goes hand in hand with this whole thing of intimacy. And so, again, I think, like I kind of opened it up, I think that prayer is a, is a very misunderstood thing, even though it, it's one of the most simple things. So we know that, again, we're saved to a personal relationship with Jesus. And I always give the teens this example, but if you have a relationship with anybody, if I have a, you know, my, my relationship with Tori, if I'm always talking to her, which would be a good thing, that's a relationship, but every time she begins to talk to me, I'm like, you know, well, well hang on, you know, let, me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something else. I'm always the person cutting her off and... and we all know people like that, amen? All right? Don't say it out loud, they may be beside you. Okay, but we all know people like that. Uh, and so, in, 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 the, the, the same thing is true with our relationship with Christ. It's easy for it to get one-sided in this whole communication thing. And we know that communication is indeed a two-way street. So, again, God works through this, this thing of prayer. And again, it's one, of the, it's one of the most simple things. So, like, as we've all come in here tonight... There's probably not any, even the small kids, even my kids, they don't even know the Lord yet, but they know they're supposed to pray, right? We, we know that. We're taught that from a young age. Uh, but if I were to ask you, and if I were to ask myself, I'm right there with you. If you were to analyze your day, okay, and then you were to take a step back and analyze your week, and those weeks turns into, turn, turn, you know, turn into a month, into several months, and you were to just analyze how much time you spend in prayer, at least for me, it's a convicting thing. And then if I were to take it a step further and not only analyze how much time I spend in prayer, but then analyze what I'm praying about, that then it, it ups the ante. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this and say more about it. So, again, pray like it works. So our specific text tonight is James 5, 16. We're going to hit all three of these tonight. And... Uh, break them down. But this is our theme verse for this new series. So this is just the second sermon of our, like, of, of the plane getting off the ground. And I like getting planes off the ground sometimes a little slowly. So that's what we're going to do tonight again. Uh, but it, it says this. Now you got to understand where we're at in the book of James. You can even tell the tribulational context from the very first part of this verse. 
So this has to do with, with rightly dividing the word of truth. We know from James 1.1, if you've got your Bible, flip over there and look at it. But it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So, I know this, I'm not a part of a tribe in Israel. So that tells me that this book, contextually, is actually not to the church. So there'll be some times we'll, we'll kind of filter through, through some of this and we'll see, okay, you know what? Well, I'm not confessing my faults to somebody else. I don't go up to Brother Sean to confess my faults so that I can be healed, right? That's, that's not a church age thing. But there's still some, because we know there's three layers of application to the Word of God, and we say that a lot around here. There's historical application, there's devotional application, there's doctrinal. Because of that, we can still get some things, some personal application from the book of James, and that's what we're doing here. So here it is, specifically is the second part of this verse, which says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So again, man, according to this, if we're going to believe the Bible, if we're going to believe James 5, 16, equally that we do John 3, 16, or, John, or Romans 5, 8, or Romans 10, 9, or whatever, if we're going to believe this is indeed the word of God, then according to this, this specific type of prayer from this specific person, it does avail. And we're going to define this, but availing means it, it works. It actually, it actually does something in our life. Okay, so God desires that we do it. So we have a quote. We have a quote every week, and here's our quote tonight. And, and teens, we're going, to be, we're going to keep quoting this guy. This guy, if you've ever read Ian Bounds, he's, he is the goat on prayer. Like He has a lot of good books on prayer, and so he's the one that always does this. Here it is. So note, Ian Bounds, good-looking fella, as a lot of those guys were in that time. But it says this, the little estimate we put on, on prayer is evidence from the little time we give to it. And so, again, as we were to ask that rhetorical question, how much time have you, and again, same to me, how much time today have I spent at the feet of Jesus in prayer? Okay, and again, that doesn't have to be, you know, prostrate on the ground, right? We get that. But how much time have I spent with Jesus in prayer? And that may be a testament to how much I really believe it avails. So, the whole purpose of the series is to show us that it, it indeed does avail. So number one, I want you to see this, and these first three points, teens, is going to be re reviewed from last week. But number one, the command to pray. The command to pray. So God not only wants us to pray, he not only desires us that we pray, but he actually commands it. We see that here in James 5, 16. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. So we see here, again, even in this tribulational context in the book of James, we see this direct call to pray. Okay, we, we can see this in, in several different references, and we'll flip around here to a few real quick, as you can see on your handout. We don't have the references there, and they're not going to be up on the screen. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, no need to turn there. It's a short one, but it says, pray without ceasing. We've, we've heard that verse, right? Pray without ceasing. Okay, that's a command. He wants us to, to, to pray, and it be a continual thing. Again, just as you have a relationship with people in your house, friends, spouses, whatever, just as that communication is to be continual, like it's not like, you know, with your wife or with your spouse or your friend, you don't say, hey, you know, between four and six, that's our talking time. Like we don't do that. And, and our relationship with the Lord is no different. So he says, pray without ceasing. Luke 18, 1, we're not going to go there, but he says that men ought always to pray 
And specifically in that verse, he says that men ought always to pray, and then he makes this statement, and to, and to faint not. Okay, now fainting, we think of fainting as just, you know, falling out. But, but spiritually, spiritual fainting is when somebody uh, goes against the course that God's called them to. When somebody just fizzles out on the things of God. When somebody burns out. That's why in Galatians 6, he says that we will reap what we sow if we faint not. Because that whole thing of fainting is, is a very big deal. But nonetheless, in Luke 18, 1, he says, hey, men ought always to pray and faint not. So this continual call to prayer is the very remedy for spiritual fainting, according to the Bible. Romans 12, 12 says that we, we are to continue instantly in prayer. Again, always in prayer. And then Luke 21 says a very similar thing. So this is the big deal that we've, when talking in, about, about prayer and, and looking at prayer in, our, prayer in our own lives, when zooming out of that and looking at our own life and asking the question, how serious am I, how serious am I in prayer? Okay, well, well, the only answer to that is not what I say I am, but actually the prayer, the, the, how my prayer life actually looks. But we said this last week, and we'll say it again. People do not pray. Okay, so, so if I'm the guy that doesn't pray much, why don't I pray much? Well, because at the end of the day, people do not pray because they either do not feel that they need it or they feel that it does not work. And I've tried to find another reason that people don't pray, and I just can't, I, I can't find another one. It's, those are really the two reasons. So again, with me, let's say I, I've, I'm, I've analyzed my prayer life, and it has not been a, a day today where I have spent time with God in prayer. Okay, it either came down to the fact that today I thought I had today on my own. I, I thought I, I could handle it. Or that I just didn't believe it would work if I prayed anyway. And every, and every other, there really is no other reason. So we see this command to pray, and, and that's why people don't oftentimes. So number two, I want you to see this in this text, that prayer does avail, but notice this, for at least someone. Okay, so prayer does avail, according to James 5.16, prayer does actually avail, but again, we need to say that it's for a certain person. Because it describes a certain person in this text. So what we're essentially saying is prayer does avail, but not for everybody. And we'll, we'll kind of lay that out here in a little bit, uh, a little bit later. But notice again, confess your faults, James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, notice this, availeth much. So we don't use the word avail oftentimes today, but... Here is a Webster's 1828 dictionary definition, and that's the best place to go outside of the Bible itself to define these words. But it says this, to profit oneself. So that's what availing is. It's, it's profitable. So what, what, what James is saying here is that for this guy in this text, in verse 16, that prayer in his life, it profits the guy. It's worth doing. We can see that, that very same context, that same definition in the first mention of, of avail, which is in Esther 5.13, which says, Yet all this availeth me nothing. You know what, you know what they're saying? Man, it doesn't profit me anything. It's a waste of time. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And that's the whole deal with Esther and Mordecai. So again, we see this command to pray. And again, that was something we, that's not something that we had to learn coming in here tonight. We understand that. And we probably knew that, that prayer availed for certain people, even if we 
don't act like it in our prayer life. But it does indeed avail for somebody. And then number three, I want you to see this. This is where it starts to see who it does avail for. But number three, the person behind the prayer. The person behind the prayer. Notice, he says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, Dylan, do you believe that a way that the type of person it is, that affects their prayer life? Yes, according to the Bible, it does. And, and, and the specific title they give this person that is linked to a prayer that avails is a righteous man. So we have two, two main subpoints for this. We need to, to lay the groundwork out for this. But first of all, you need to see this whole, righteous, this whole righteousness thing has to do with salvation. So we laid this out. I'm sorry. Did I get ahead of myself? No. Okay, we're right. Okay. Here's our, here's our subpoint. If someone does not know Jesus then their prayers will be ineffective. So if, if you've come in here even on a Wednesday night and you are lost, you, have, you may know about Jesus, you may believe in the facts of what Jesus came and did, but you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're lost. And because you're lost, your prayer life doesn't avail. And, and, and you would think, well, well Dylan, that's, that's pretty obvious. But believe it or not, there are, there are all kind of lost people that actually attempt to pray. Now, I, would, I wouldn't say that God never hears their prayers. There is a reference in the New Testament that says that God heareth not sinners. But I wouldn't say in every situation, in every circumstance, that God doesn't hear a cry or a prayer from a lost person, outside of the cry for salvation, of course. But I would say this, that it, again, it goes back to this thing of a relationship. And so, I've given the team several examples of this, but uh, I always want to say Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan hasn't been the quarterback for the Falcons in a minute. Uh, if I were to call Tom Brady, Tom Brady's retired now, but if I were to call Tom Brady, and I were to leave him a message and say, yo, Tom, this is Dylan, give me a holler, he's going to listen to that voicemail and be like, who, who in the world is this guy? Dylan who? I don't know any Dylans, and he sounds like, a, like an idiot. I'm not calling this guy back. But if Tom gets a call from, from his agent, the guy that was his agent for years, you know what Tom's doing? He's like, oh, I know that guy. I'm returning that phone call. Okay, and, and, and that is the same thing. That is the same reality in our prayer life because it goes back to this whole thing of a relationship. And because somebody that is lost has not entered that relationship, they are still spiritually dead. They, are still, they still have a dead spirit. They are still body, soul, and spirit, but their spirit is dead and has yet to be quickened and to be reconciled to God. And because of that, of course, again, we probably knew that coming in here, but because of that, their prayer life doesn't avail. So Romans 3.10, we can see this. We see this whole, this whole uh, thing of, of imputed righteousness, because okay? that's what we're talking about here. The guy in James 5.16 the guy that his prayers avail, he's, he's called a righteous man. So we got to figure out, man, how is it that, that we became righteous? So Romans 3.10, let's do some flipping. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And I'm going to turn quick, so we'll try, to, we'll try to knock it out. But this is a very popular verse. We know Romans 3.23, a lot of us could quote it. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's an Awana verse. Maybe some of our Awana kiddos know that. But for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
But then you get to uh, earlier, Romans 3.10, it uses that word righteous that we're talking about. And it says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Well, that obviously gives us a problem, considering that that is the, only, that is the stipulation on effective uh, prayer that avails. Is we, that person must be righteous. But we know from Romans 3.10 that when people are in their fallen state, there is none righteous. No, not one. So you go over to Romans 5.19, flip over Romans 5.19, or swipe, or scroll, whatever your preference is. But it says, for as, one, or for as by one man's disobedience, we were made sinners. Okay, we get that, that's Adam. That's why in Genesis 5.3, Adam originally had the image of God, but then he fell, he died spiritually. And then when Adam had his son Seth, after the fall, it said that he was born in Adam's image, in Adam's likeness, okay? So just like, just like Seth, when we were born from a physical seed of our father and, and, and our mother, we were, we, were, we were dead spiritually. We were in this whole camp of disobedient sinners. Okay, so for as, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners— so by the obedience of one, that is obviously Jesus Christ, so by the obedience of one uh, shall many be made, and there's the word, righteous. So this righteousness we know, of course, is, comes from salvation in Jesus Christ. And then flip back over one chapter, Romans 4. Romans 4, verse 21 through 24. And this is Abraham, and this is when Abraham had his whole deal with Isaac on the, uh, on the mountain there in Genesis 22. Verse 20 actually says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Okay, why was it imputed to him for righteousness? Well, because, because Abraham took God at his word. Okay, so when you got saved, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, what you did, whether you realize it or not, what you did is you took God at his word. Because you didn't see Jesus Christ hovering in the clouds when you called upon him. If you did, that's weird, okay? You probably, you didn't do that. that that's not normal. You didn't see Jesus Christ hovering. You didn't, you didn't hear some, some little audible voice and all this. I mean, you may have been convicted, and it almost felt like that, but you didn't, you, none of that happened, okay? That's not, that's not New Testament salvation. But what you did is you heard the truth from this book about your condition and about Jesus Christ, and you responded to what this book said. And so at that moment, just like Abraham, you were imputed righteousness from Jesus Christ. And so again, verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, so it's not just an Old Testament deal with Abraham, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if, and there's, there's a big if, ifs are always big, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So that's the contingency. Somebody only gets this imputed righteousness, this righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. They only get this when they believe on him, when they place their, their trust on Jesus Christ in the payment he's offered. And so if you've not done that tonight, then you are not this righteous man 
in James chapter 5 and your prayers don't avail and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you need one desperately and that imputed righteousness is made available to you. So we get this in our, back in our notes. Imputed, what does imputed mean? That's a fancy word. I didn't use it today. I don't know about you. I didn't. Imputed means charged to the account of. Charged to the account of. And so the illustration we gave last week to the teens, we laid this out. But it would be like I had a car payment at, a, at Wells Fargo up the street. And I joke with them that nobody makes car payments physically in, in banks anymore. Uh, there's probably some. But I was joking. Okay, like, let's, say, let's say that I was from the 80s and I went inside this bank to make my car payment. And, and Ruthie were to come into the bank with me and say, hey, no, no, no. I've already got a check. It's right here. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to apply this to Dylan's car payment. Okay, the only way that check will actually go to it is if I allow the teller to do that, is if I receive it. If I accept it, I say, okay, yeah, I want it. I'm, I'm down with that. And the same thing is true with salvation. Okay, just because Jesus died, just because he, he sacrificed his life upon the cross doesn't mean that, that everybody's saved. It, they have to have this imputed righteousness which comes at a time and a place by personally receiving Christ. So it's a charge to the account of. He took, he, he offered this, this payment free and, and, and it, it, nothing uh, on our part, simply to receive it by faith. And, and if we would receive it by faith, he would, it would cover our sin debt completely. So this, this righteousness of James 5.16, again, it comes from this imputed righteousness. So if, again, if somebody's lost, then we know their prayers, again, they, they, they just don't avail. They just, it's like me with Tom. Tom, don't, Tom doesn't know me. And so because of that, my communication with him is, is uh, stagnant. But then secondly, the second sub-point, so, okay, it, mo most of us, I'm sure, do know Jesus Christ. And so if we know Christ, okay, well, then, then if we're saved, are we completely that righteous man there in James 5? Well, okay, positionally we are. We have Christ's righteousness, and we can't do anything to add to that righteousness. But what we know, this is our second, our second sub-point here, that if somebody knows Christ but is indeed walking in sin, that also hurts their prayer life. Okay, so, so, okay, so I'm, maybe I'm the righteous guy in James 5. Maybe I'm the guy that I, okay, Dylan, yeah, I know. I got saved. I've trusted Jesus Christ. I have his imputed righteousness. Okay, that's awesome. But if there is something habitually that I'm unrepentant of in my life, you know what that does? It, it, it jacks up my prayer life. My prayers don't, man, they don't, they seem to not make it through the, through the roof. Psalm 66, go to Psalm 66 real quick. So I think this will be the last time I'll have you turn or swipe. Uh, but Psalm 66, we're not going to have time. I'm actually going to, we're going to lay these out later on with the youth, all the different things that, that get, that hinder our prayer life. But I'm just going to give you two quick examples so you don't think I'm crazy, if you do think I'm crazy. Psalm 66, 18, he says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, notice this, and I get it, I get, this is Old Testament, but, but check this out. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay, I want you to now go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, this is a, this is a, convicting one for the guys in the room if you're a husband 
and again, this is just to, just to give you two quick examples. There's more than this, but, but notice what it says. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as, under the, as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Check this out, this last phrase here. And this has been, we looked at this in Wedstrong before. That your prayers be not hindered. So, Okay, so Psalm 66 deal. If I, you know, I'm, I'm allowing iniquity just, to, iniquity just to hang out here, and I, I'm not doing anything about it. You know, and the Lord, it stunts my very call to, to the Lord Jesus. It stunts his ear to my prayer. But even as simple as my relationship with, with, with my spouse. And by the way, I think it's Matthew chapter 6. You were to go study that. If you have an ought with your brother, man, very similar things. So it's not just a marriage relationship. But if I, have, if I am not treating my wife right, I'm not doing my biblical duty as a husband to her, I mean, according to this, if we're going to believe it, it says that my prayers can actually be hindered. And so again, that needs to be said if we're laying out this whole thing of James 5.16, and you can go back there. But if this whole thing of James 5.16 that lets us know that prayer actually does avail, well, we need to see why sometimes it doesn't. Because it doesn't always avail. So back to James, James 5. And I can't find James 5. Okay, so this, this person, man, this, this righteous man here, the person behind the prayers, our third point, again, they, they must know Jesus because that is when they get this imputed righteousness. But, but further along, man, not only with, the, with a knowledge of, of a relationship with Jesus, but again, this has to do with our, with our fellowship with Jesus. Again, if, if, my, if there is habitual sin in my life that's unrepented of, man, it does indeed hinder my prayer life. And so that brings us to this note here, that sin does not remove God as our Father. And we know that. We believe in eternal security around here. It's a biblical doctrine. Sin does not remove God as our Father, but it does hurt our fellowship. And so my mind goes straight to, there, there's a passage there in the Gospels where, where Jesus is, is wanting to wash the disciples' feet. And you know Peter, he's always known to just spout off and say some stuff. And Peter speaks up, and he's like, no, you're not washing my feet, Lord. We ain't doing that. And, and Jesus says, pretty much tells him, you need, you need your feet washed. Like, and, he, and he talks about how it has connection to the kingdom of God and all these things. And Peter's like, okay, well, wash me all over. He's like, well, let's just, let's just get a bath right now. Uh, Jesus, let's do it. And, G- and Jesus lets him know, he's like, man, you've already been washed. But what he's letting Peter know in all this, all this, you know, once we get saved, we're saved. But sometime, sometimes along the journey of our Christian life, we get a little dirt on our feet. And that, that doesn't affect God being our Father, but it does affect our fellowship with him. It does affect how we commune with him. And so 1 John 1, 9 lets us know that we can confess those things, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of those things and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because that is the unrighteousness is the opposite of righteous, which is the kind of person that is getting availing prayer in James 5.16. So that's the person behind prayer. And then number four, these are the new things. And my goodness, I thought I was doing good, and then I, it's 7.40. Number four, the heart behind prayer. The heart behind prayer. So just in this, this really just verse 16, the second half of this verse, there's so much here. There's so much here if we're going to dissect this whole thing of prayer that avails. But notice again, we're just dissecting the very words of Scripture here. But he says, the, notice this, the effectual fervent prayer. Okay, so 
We've already seen that there's a command to pray based on this verse. We've already seen that, that this prayer does indeed avail for this specific person, and then it's required from a righteous person. But then, then we see this whole deal that this is effectual fervent prayer. So it's, it's given these, these adjectives to describe the very thing that we're to be doing. So effectual, what does that mean? I think we probably understand what that means, but it means a producing effect, which I've always thought using like a hybrid of the word in the definition should be legal. I don't know. Effect, effectual. But it's a, it's a producing effect. So notice this. I want you to notice this when, we, when we're looking at this, because one of the questions I asked at the beginning is, how much time have you spent with God in prayer? And then I'm, I asked the question, the rhetorical question, if, okay, as you analyze what, how much time you, sent, you spent with God in prayer, okay, then what were you praying about? What dominated your prayer life? And the reason that's important is because when you study this word effectual uh, out in, in our Bible, it brings us to this note here. Every time we find the word effectual, someone is either sharing the gospel or somebody's growing in their faith. Every single time. It's mentioned six times in our Bible, all in the New Testament. And so every time we find it, it's connected with, with that person preaching the gospel, giving the gospel to somebody else, or it's connected with somebody in the church growing and being edified. Okay, so that's, that's a huge deal. Because if you were to go and you were to study out Paul's prayer life, he was always praying for eternal things. He wasn't praying for the temporal. Now, if he had a care, did he cast it upon the Lord? I'm sure he did. But nonetheless, what dom okay, if what dominates my prayer life is me and my physical needs and my physical issues and, you know, I'm tired, Lord, and I have, I've had a long day, Lord. And, and again, does he want to hear those things? Sure he does. But if that's 90% of my prayer life, then I have to ask myself, man, is that effectual prayer? Am I praying for eternal things? Am I praying for the things that have the heart of the Lord? Because they're two different things. So 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says this. This is the first mention of effectual, I believe. But it says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me. And you know what kind of door he's talking about there? He's talking about preaching, he's talking about giving the gospel. That's, that's Paul there. Talking about giving the word of God, giving the gospel. Okay, so the effectual is part of this. But then we also see this word fervent. So fervent means hot, boiling, as a fervent summer, and we all can relate to that, okay? Hot, boiling, amen, Miss Carrie? I'll give you a shout out there. We were talking about hot cars here a second ago. Hot, boiling, as a fervent summer. Okay, that's what fervent means. We see that in the context of comparing Scripture with Scripture in Romans twelve eleven, which says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So what James is saying here is, is you know what, it's, it's not prayer that is, that is mundane. It's not a prayer life that is, that is just done so from the form of a habit. It's not just a prayer life that is just praying because I think I ought to. Okay, it's, it's, it has some fervency, it has some, it has some heat to it. It has a purpose behind it. And the purpose is I know that I, I need the Lord in, in a specific thing. So notice what E.M. Bounds says right here. We're going to quote E.M. Bounds a lot throughout this whole series. But notice what E.M. said right here. This is good. He said, I would rather have prayer without words than words without prayer. Now what does that mean? Well, he's talking about the heart behind prayer. 
He's talking about the very, the, 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 how we yearn for the Lord's hand in a specific situation behind the words that we're actually praying. Because the word looks on the heart. We know that. So I would rather have prayer without words than words without prayer. So again, as we, as we zoom out and we analyze our own lives, would that be, would those things, would those things be the, 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 the testament of, of my prayer life? Would those be the testament of your prayer life? For one, do you have that imputed righteousness? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? And if you have, is, is there something habitual in your life that you are unrepentant of that would hinder your prayer life? And then do you, do you pray effectually? Do you pray for eternal things? Do you pray for things that, that has the attention of God? And do you pray with fervency? And that leads us to number five, and that is the example of this praying man. So all the things that we laid out, all the things that we just looked at in these, uh, these first four points, he, uh, God gives us an example of all that in Elijah in verse 17 and 18. So we're going to see it played out here. But the example of this praying man. So James 5, 17, it says Elias, and that, that is Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So in this whole thing, we can see these, these basic things that we already laid out. First of all, I want you to see that Elijah prayed consistently. So again, back to our first point, we saw the, the command to pray, and that it needs to just be a fa- the very fabric of our life. But Elijah prayed consistently. Look at, look at verse 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed. Okay, well, Dylan, what's the big deal? Well, verse 18 says, and he prayed again. So Elijah was, again, giving himself continually, consistently to prayer. And then secondly, we see the very, the very reality in Elijah's life that Elijah prayed fervently. Elijah prayed fervently. We see it in verse 17. Notice this. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed. Notice, what's that next word? Earnestly. And he prayed earnestly. You say, okay, well, Dylan, that's not the same word as fervently. It actually is translated as fervently in other places in our King James Bible. It's the very same word. So it's, it's, the, same, it's the same heart behind prayer. It's not just Elijah, you know, Lord, coming to you today. You know, it, there, there is a purpose behind it. Elijah realize, You know what Elijah realizes? He realizes a lot of times what I forget, and that is that when I'm talking to the Father, I'm talking to the Father of everything. I'm talking to the one that actually has created everything by his word. And I forget that oftentimes. So Elijah prayed fervently. And we see that Elijah was righteous because he knew God and was, and was walking with God. And we could go through so many illustrations with Elijah's life between him being fed by ravens and him calling down fire uh, on, on Baal and him... Uh, the deal with the widow. There, there's so many different examples, but, but this verse would, would suffice it based on the testimony of somebody else looking at Elijah's life. And it says, And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. So again, the same thing is true with us. If I have that imputed righteousness, which is a, which is a necessity, 
then man, my, my walk with God has direct impact on how much my, prayer, my prayers avail. And then lastly, we see that the culmination of all of this is that what we've talked about this whole night, and that is that Elijah's prayers, they availed. They actually availed. They worked. So, in all of this, man, and truly, you know, the old saying is that I'm just preaching to myself, and you're getting in the way. Everybody else is getting in the way, and that really is the truth. That's the truth always for me. And so, in this whole, this whole study, and this whole series, and I don't know how much we'll be in here with it, but specifically with the teens, but in all of this, man, my desire is that it would, it would grow us a fire and a desire to pray and to see the importance of it and to see the power of it. And I, I, I've said this before in here, but if you were to go back and you were to study church history, okay, we're in the church of Laodicea, okay? I would, say, I would tell you that Laodicea is 1900 to the rapture, okay? Definitely to the rapture, but I would say 1900 is the starting point. There's more Bible knowledge in today's time than there ever has been. There, there just is. Like, we get to read behind those guys from Philadelphia, the Philadelphian era guys. There's more Bible knowledge today than there ever has been. But I don't know if you've noticed, but in, in today's times and in the last 50 to 100 years, there's a lot less moving of God than there was back in the 17 and 1800s. And I believe, personally, that the difference was, even though they knew less, man, they had an intimate prayer life with the Lord. And they were desperate for God through their prayer life. So, man, let that, let that encourage you and challenge you as you go through throughout the rest of your week with your prayer life as you get in time uh, with the Lord and His Word. And if you, if, if, man, as I said, laid out all this stuff, as we looked at all this stuff tonight, truly, if you're that person that you've, you've never had access, you've never received that imputed righteousness, that righteousness that according to Romans 5, 19, it only comes through Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, man, all of this stuff, it's not you. James 5, 16, it's not you. Your prayers don't avail. But they can, and God wants to know you, and he, we know that he, he laid his life down for you on the cross, and you can have access to that imputed righteousness. It's a free gift. And so if you, if you have questions about that, see me after service or somebody else, and I'd, I'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can trust Christ. All right? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the, this time in your word. God, I, I pray that it would be uh, beneficial to our walk. God, I pray that if, if nothing else in this series, I pray that you would deepen my prayer life. Because as I've already said, and as you know, that is where I seem to stray the fastest and most quickly. It always happens in my prayer life. So I pray that you would, you would grow me in that. I pray that you'd grow these teens in that. I pray that you'd grow this church in that. Lord, just help us to be praying people. Help us to be desperate for you. Prayer, at the end of the day, Lord, shows our desperation and our dependence upon you. And you tell us in John 15, 5, that without you we can't do anything. So, Lord, may we be praying people, and may you use us because of that. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us uh, as we come back Sunday. Be with us the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen.